1: Hello everyone, Dr. Low Radio. I am actually recording this early on Tuesday morning. You're hearing it on Tuesday night. I was planning on doing a show on depression tonight and I was gonna be recording it and uploading it for you. Um and yesterday was just a crazy day for me. I got up at three fifteen in the morning, went over to to the office and I was on the news on Fox News at five in the morning. I saw patients all day and then I had meetings after work. So I just didn't get my, my stuff together for the show for tonight. Um I do want to do a show on depression that I think it's really, really important. So I will be getting that together very soon. But for tonight I'm gonna to be doing a rerun on one of my favorite shows that I've ever done, and that's called Addiction, The Hidden Epidemic by Pam Colleen. And we we're talking about just the the whole um uh phenomenon of addiction in our, our, our current um our current state of of health. And, you know, this is this is alcohol. This is smoking. This is shopping. This is sex. This is um, Facebook. I mean, it's every. It's just our addicted brains that we have nowadays. And what's really going on with that? And what to do about it? Um, her book is incredibly fascinating. I love her book, and I highly recommend everybody to read it because um, I think there's something going on that is it's it's not visible to many of us. You know, we're a lot of us are just becoming zombies. We're being addicted to things without even our noticing. And one of my intentions with my show, as you guys know, is to have you really empowered in your health and taking charge in your wellness. And, and I, I think that this is something that is going, going to be that much more of an issue in the future regarding, um, addictions. So I'll leave it at that. I will, uh, turn on the audio from that show and um enjoy i uh i thank you guys for uh for the patience with the show and i'm sorry for the change of plans but i will get a depression depression show to you very very soon and i am off to work to go see patients have a wonderful rest of your day and here's the show blog talk radio
2: what's going on you lovely people you've tuned in to dr low radio where you hear the very best in natural medicine and all things wellness i'm your host dr lauren noel naturopathic doctor thanks for tuning into the show and for your loyal listens once again checking out the stats on Block talk radio in the health section we're doing well we're like number four out of like 1300 shows or something nuts and it's crazy to me because i don't even promote the show it's just Really loyal listeners just spreading the word, and it's just good information. i got great guests on the show, and I, we're going to have a really, really great guest again tonight. So just want to say thank you to you guys. I got an iPhone over the weekend. Finally, I joined the whole iPhone craze. And I was looking at my show on iTunes um, in the podcast section, and I saw all these really great reviews, and it just warmed my heart. So it's just nice to know you guys are listening. and are really enjoying the show, and I, it just motivates me to keep bringing really great content and really great guests and topics, so... Thank you to you guys. Um, If you missed last week's show, we were talking to Dr. Alex Vasquez about fibromyalgia and how this this condition is so debilitating. And and reading the different, you know, self-help groups online, I was just really amazed. And the the stories I've heard from patients, it is a debilitating condition. You're not alone, and there's so much that can be done from a natural medicine perspective. So I really, I really encourage you if you have this condition or if you know someone else who does, check out the show. Um, it was great. There's a whole lot going on with that condition that is so much more than what conventional medicine tells you. So please, you have options. You definitely have hope. So check that show out. You can just uh, look at my website, DrLaurenNoel.com, for any previous shows, and on iTunes, my podcast directory, of course. Um, if you're local to the San Diego area, mark your calendars on June 28th from 6 to 8 at my clinic at... Uh, Bloom Natural Health we're going to be having an event called Bloom Into Paleo I'm going to be giving a short lecture about the paleo diet what it's all about and really how it's more than just a diet it's really a lifestyle and how, how it can just revolutionize your health and I'm going to have a, 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 a caterer there he's going to be sampling some really delicious foods that's Pete from pre, Pete's Pre-Made Paleo and I've tasted it and this guy has some major skills in the kitchen so you guys will really enjoy that uh, more information go to bloomnaturalhealth.com or email us to RSVP because you do need a RC to go at info at bloomnaturalhealth.com, but on to tonight, addiction is really, it is is a huge issue in our country, I think we all know this, but for a lot of us who are addicted, we don't even know it, and what am I talking about, addicted to what, drugs, a lot more than that you guys, it's prescription drugs, it's alcohol, it's shopping, it's internet, it's just so many things we're going to touch on tonight, and a lot of times these all have Common root causes. I'm all about finding the root cause of things. So we're going to be talking to an expert in, in this, Pam Colleen, who's the author of Addiction, The Hidden Epidemic.
3: I'll
2: give you uh, Pam's bio here. So Pam is the author of Addiction, The Hidden Epidemic, and co-author of the New York Times bestselling book, The Bird Flu, The Great Bird Flu Hoax. She's been independently studying nutrition and natural health for over 20 years. Her interest in nutrition and natural health stems from overcoming a lengthy battle with chronic fatigue fibromyalgia and multiple chemical sensitivities. As a nutritional consultant, she offers her clients a very comprehensive program which focuses on restoring their biochemical imbalances. She's also a dynamic and diverse public speaker and a radio personality and her website, if you want to check out her website is pamkilleen.com It's P-A-M-K-I-L-L-E-E-N dot com. Pam, thank you so much for
3: joining us. Thanks so much for having me.
2: Yeah, it's great. Can you hear me sad. Okay. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me okay? I'm on my cell phone today. I can. Thank you. Thank
3: you.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I had to rush home from the clinic. They were they're doing some uh, construction next door, and I said, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be nuts." So I rushed on the freeway, jammed home, and I I literally just logged on my computer like two minutes before. So kind of getting my heart rate down still, (laughs) but we'll make it work. (laughs) So just relax. It sounds like yeah. No, I'm just you know getting back into my parasympathetic, you know. (laughs) Um. So. I'm really excited about this topic. This actually is a very dear topic to me because I've had um, this affect my family, my my brother, and and I I actually asked my family if this would be okay to talk about, but, um, you know, he has been an addict since I was, like, three years old, and so this really affects us a lot in the family and everything, you know, in and out of treatment facilities, and, you know, and we'll we'll talk more about this later of just, you know, inmates and, and prisoners and the things that they go through with with addictions and just how it de- we don't get to the root cause with with these people, you know, and and how and and I'll get more into this later, but just how certain types of facilities have a different way of approaching addictions, and I'm really excited to shed some light on that tonight because that was the very most that was the most hope that he ever had was going to one of those types of facilities. So, just my own little personal thing is that this is a very important topic to me, but. Um, Tell me, Pam, how did you get into this whole realm of addiction, and why did you write the book?
3: Well, I wrote it for several reasons. Uh, One of the the individuals I interviewed in the book is Dr. Natasha Campbell-McBride, and she wrote the book Gut and Psychology Syndrome. And I remember sitting through one of her seminars, and she said, you know, today we're turning our children into addicts. And when she said that, I had this huge epiphany, and I said, you know, she's right. Uh, you know, I grew up on a very high sugar diet, and I collapsed in my twenties you know with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia and So I remember vividly as a kid growing up being very addicted to sugar uh, and then I look around at uh, you know people in that are even younger than I was, and I see how how you know addicted they are to sugar and other substances today it's it's even worse today than it was when i was a kid i mean now today it's almost normal for kids to you know consume huge amounts of caffeine on top of that mm-hmm. sugar so i when i heard her say that i said you know something more has to be done to address this subject and so that was one of my precipitating reasons why i wanted to write the book another reason was cuz i just see it so Pervasive around me I look around and I see so many people struggling with addiction people that I really care about like you and I don't see them having a lot of choices out there that are very successful in terms of their recovery I see them out there potentially spending tens of thousands of dollars going to recovery uh, you know um, institutions and so on and they're not coming out well Uh, and I don't think that that's uh, very fair number one Uh, And number two, when I started investigating this and finding solutions, I said, you know, I would far rather that people have access to these types of facilities that have an 80% recovery rate and they're doing sound biochemical approaches that are, you know, helping people get their lives back. So I just thought the world needed to know about these uh, solutions and that they are a better uh, solution in terms of helping somebody that you may care about.
2: Yeah, yeah, my 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 brother. Just to kind of you know go back to this personal part is you know he ever since I was a kid, I remember him going to camp. My parents would say he's going to camp, and it was him going to another treatment facility and always coming back and getting right back into it again, you know. And it, and it happened for probably 15, 20 years. And it wasn't until maybe five years ago that he started going to a facility that was doing what you're saying, you know, balancing neurotransmitters and using amino acids and the whole biochemistry. And, he, and, and I remember him telling me, this is the first time that I don't have drug cravings, And it was, it was just so exciting, you know, to, to be able to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, so really excited to jump into that with you a little bit later. But let's just kind of take a step back. You write in your book that addiction is our number one health problem. So we know, usually we think of, okay, cancer, heart disease, diabetes. Those are the top causes of death we hear about. How, how are you getting this statistic? How is it such a huge health problem for us?
3: Well, it is our number one uh, health problem. It's it's costing the U.S. economy a half a trillion dollars every single year. There are more deaths and disability due to substance abuse than from any other cause. Uh, So I do have the references uh, for these numbers in my book. Uh, They are hard numbers. But I think that what happens with a lot of cases where people may die from cancer, heart disease, or diabetes, they look at the disease itself, but they don't look at what could have been the contributing factors to causing uh, the deaths in those circumstances. And I think when you look uh, hard at some of these uh, cases, you'll see that addiction uh, had played some sort of factor in in terms of uh, an individual's ill health. So uh, very commonly, for example, like I remember once watching... Uh, the, one of the Hollywood movies based on the life of uh, Peter Sellers. And he had a, you know, he was, a lot of people knew that he was a very eccentric actor uh, and that he did drugs and he was a drinker. And every single scene in that movie, I remember seeing that, you know, he was either drinking or he was smoking or he was doing, you know, uh, cocaine or whatever the drug was that he was using. And I remember saying, at the end of the movie, they said he died from, I think it was a heart condition. And I said to myself, no, I think he died from a hard life. I think he, had, he treated his body poorly and uh, didn't get the right solutions in terms of dealing with the underlying reasons why he was so drawn to different drugs. And uh, the, yes, and then those drugs inevitably um, you know, destroyed his health even more. So I think that um, a lot of people look at the labels of cancer, heart disease, and diabetes but don't look at addiction as being a contributing factor.
2: Mm, Yeah, I think they uh, put the blame on the disease rather than the, you know, leading up to what the disease actually was caused by. Really interesting. So, and I know that a lot of these patients are on numerous medications, you know, a whole list of medications. How many meds are, are people on now on an average,
3: you know? <laughs> well, in the United States, over 50% of the population is taking at least one prescription drug. Uh, but if you consider mind, uh, you know, c- drugs that could influence mood, uh, they don't have to be legal drugs like prescription drugs. It can be sugar, it can be caffeine, it can be nicotine, it can be a lot of drugs that are very easily available in society today. And of course, all drugs essentially are bad. They all can have very devastating side effects, including having fatal side effects. But, you know, some of us look at these very benign-type drugs on the marketplace today and think that they're harmless when, they indeed, they do have devastating consequences. And I think we've been seeing more and more in the news, of course, on the problems associated with sugar. And sugar, indeed, I would say, is at the top of the ladder in terms of its uh, – Um, you know, its availability in the marketplace and its ability to cause addiction in individuals. And in a sense, it's like a a gateway drug. It it sets people up in terms of destroying their biochemistry, weakening their biochemistry, and then setting them up for developing potentially other addictions later on in life. So it creates a very unstable biochemistry if uh, if people develop sugar addictions very early on in life. Mm,
2: Yeah, I think that does just such a powerful addiction and when patients first come into my office one of my main goals with them to start is just getting their blood sugar balanced and that makes a huge huge difference with their immune system their adrenal function their, their you know mental function and everything it's just it's so incredibly important and and I remember seeing some stats looking at like schizophrenics and and other people with um you know different mood disorders and, and those with addictions that they they have some blood sugar imbalances right Oftentimes. Yeah,
3: it's really the underlying instability that's happening in, the, in people is that they are basically hypoglycemic. Uh, and they're, So essentially they have very poor blood sugar control. And the reason why this is happening essentially is because we're eating too many carbohydrates in our diet. We're not eating enough animal fat to stabilize blood sugar and therefore relax the adrenal glands. And so essentially people are in this... Uh, you know, fight or flight mode The stress mode, year, you know, day in and day out Year in and year out And so they don't feel good And their brains are not running uh, on the proper fuel So they have to medicate themselves In order to feel better uh, Unfortunately, mm-hmm. whatever it is that they're gravitating towards Actually just keeps destabilizing their biochemistry That much more Essentially, that's what drugs do Is they damage an already damaged brain hmm
2: Right, and then just makes it worse. And then one thing I thought was so interesting too is is oftentimes once people are able to, you know, recover from one addiction, they go to another one, right? You know, they get off of mm-hmm. the drug and then they start smoking and then they're drinking or, or you know, they trade one addiction in for another. So are there common root causes with a lot of these different addictions?
3: Well, yes, and that is, uh, again, the sort of unstable blood sugar issue that we we just touched on there's issues that are tied into the adrenal glands as well because of course as the blood sugar roller coaster ride is going on that sends the adrenals into an alarm state and so that it weakens the adrenal glands and so biochemically speaking what that translates to is the sodium and potassium falls out of kilter and so when people are gravitating to an addictive drug, or even an activity like skydiving, something that's thrill-seeking, what they're trying to do is temporarily turn on the adrenal glands and push up the sodium and potassium ratio. And when that happens, then now the body has some energy and it will kick out some heavy metals, things like copper, uh, which can lodge in the brain and cause a foggy, foggy brain feeling. And so gen- generally what happens with addiction is as people stimulate their adrenal glands, uh, release these heavy metals, including copper, feel better for a little while, but as they've taken something that's very damaging for the adrenal glands, then they have to actually go back to that substance or that activity again in order to re-stimulate the adrenal glands, again, kick out some of those metals, feel a little bit better for a little while, and so on and so on and so on. So that's essentially the vicious cycle of addiction. And uh, one of the metals I just touched on, copper, is a big uh, problem with addiction and uh, and all mood disorders from what I find. I When I test every single individual I'm working with who has any kind of mood disorder or addiction, uh, they are usually loaded with copper, and copper is one of these metals that, uh, you know, really, really messes with your hormones and, and your brain in general, uh, interfering with your neurotransmitters and so on. And the reason why copper is such a problem today has a lot to do with a couple of different variables. One is, uh, of course, if you're living in a fluoridated community, uh, of course, the fluoride ion loves to attach to copper. So uh, if you're living in a fluoridated community, you're going to be more prone to copper toxicity. If you have copper pipes in your house, you're going to be more prone to copper toxicity. City water supplies also tend to uh, add copper sulfate to the water as an antifungal. And another reason uh, why we can end up copper toxic has a lot to do with our red meat phobia, because red meat is one of the best sources of zinc, yeah. yeah, which is the antagonist to copper. So if people aren't eating enough red meat in their diet, uh, then that will cause the copper to increase. So copper is uh, is a big factor, and it's one of these pieces to the puzzle that took me years to figure out. Um, hmm. Because uh, even though I think neuro, I think amino acids plays a huge role and can really help stabilize people's moods quite quickly, uh, the neurotransmitters also. Uh, won't fire properly as long as there's too much copper in the way as well. So that's just another uh, dimension to uh, addiction that I was so excited to find out about when I was doing my research. Yeah, and it's made a huge difference with your clients, would you say, addressing that? Keith? Oh, huge difference. Absolutely. You know, and it's it's just it's a very... Uh my the program I put people on is, is a lot of work there's no question about that but it's a very very precise to getting rid of that copper because it's not easy to get rid of copper unfortunately and mm-hmm. I wish it were simple but it's not <laughs> mm-hmm. well, But yeah. one of the things people can yeah what people can do of course is make sure they're getting enough uh red meat in the diet Mhm okay definitely getting that the
2: real good quality red meat not just the you know the typical hamburger patty from McDonald's that grass the organic, <laughs> but really healthy cows. I'm sure my listeners yeah, probably Yeah, I'm glad know to that bring that a up lot because, by now. you know,
3: yeah, it's so important if you can get the, uh, grass-fed version of meat, uh, that's your gold standard. And that's what I encourage people to find if they can find it. So, uh, absolutely, you know, you're gonna get more amino acids in the red meat if the animal has been out on pasture. And the profile of the nutrients, of course, is gonna be far better than if you get it from a factory farm source. So you're gonna get more minerals in the meat. You're gonna get, uh, a better profile in terms of the fatty acids and more of the fat-soluble vitamins like vitamin A and vitamin D as well. And those nutrients are crucial uh, for your nervous system.
2: Mm, yeah, I looked up, uh, and I'll get to this in a little bit of some information of the USDA today. I would love to dissect with you a little bit. But but I love this piece you brought up is about nutrition and some of these trace minerals and um, metals and things. So besides the zinc and copper, are there other minerals, are there nutrients that are really involved with helping to balance brain chemistry to then, you know, treat or help, prevent some of these addiction issues?
3: Yeah, one of the – there's some very key minerals that need to be in balance in the body in order for the body to feel an inner sense of relaxation. And another uh, very important mineral ratio I work on is the calcium and magnesium, not just the levels, but the ratio as well. Uh, And it's a very refined process that I use because it has to be done in accordance with the sodium and potassium. But without bioavailable calcium and magnesium, these people end up feeling an inner sense of angst all the time. They feel worry all the time. They can't relax their brains. They won't fall asleep at night. And if they do fall asleep, it's not going to be a good quality sleep because there's no bioavailable calcium and magnesium for them to feel relaxed. Uh, and so without that sense of relaxation, of course, people will look to self-medicate uh, and as I see people improve on my program, of course, and they get to the stage where they have more bioavailable calcium and magnesium, they usually come back to me reporting that they feel an inner sense of calm and joy that they've never actually felt before in their lives. And uh, so it's, it's quite a remarkable um, a process that people go through as their minerals Come into balance And uh, and as their adrenals Start to heal as well My clients uh, know that Part of the healing process entails Resting and relaxing Like what you mentioned earlier Being in that parasympathetic state Is so crucial Because that's the natural normal healthy human state is to be in a state of resting and digesting, which is the parasympathetic state. And so when people start working with me, I tell them, I don't want any aerobic activity because I want you to imagine your adrenal glands as being in a cast. Uh, and like you've broken your arm and your arm is in a cast and it needs to heal. The same thing goes with the adrenal glands is for them to heal, you must rest. And I, if I, I work with people who come to me and they may be an elite athlete Uh, maybe they're a marathon runner or something along that line i won't work with them until they stop running because i know i'm going to be fighting a losing battle
2: i love that that is i'm i'm so inspired by that because i i have to play tough love a lot of times with my patients too i live in a very fitness oriented area and so i have to tell them you know you gotta you gotta put the the real crazy training on hold for a while because i don 't want you to spend what I help your body save up, you know we 're really trying to turn things around for you, but yeah you can 't whip that horse while it's down you got to let it get up and rest and heal, and then you know then maybe you can do some racing down the line but really crucial Well, you 're a
3: very enlightened health practitioner because so few people understand that component yet yeah, it's it 's uh, it's very controversial, like if I have somebody who comes comes to me and they 're an addicted addicted to a given drug and they know the drug is bad and they know the drug. Uh, is not helping them And it's hurting them And they want to get off the drug But where exercise is concerned That's a whole different creature Because most people think All that heavy exercise Is actually good for them And so yeah. it's very difficult for me It's very difficult for me To educate them And tell them that That the strenuous exercise Is actually draining their battery And their battery mm-hmm. is usually Running on empty anyway uh, and so what they're using the exercise for is very similar to caffeine or cocaine or sugar. They're, they're using it as a stimulant to turn on their adrenal glands who, that are really not, you know, working on anything at this stage by the time they show up on my door. Uh, you know, they're, they're running on empty. And so what they're using the, the jogging for is to temporarily turn on their adrenal glands. And what they end up doing, of course, is depleting their adrenal glands at the same time. So it's it's a tough one for people. I used to be uh, an over-exerciser, so I understand the attachment to exercise and the belief that exercise is, quote-unquote, healthy, uh, when really our adrenals are only designed to allow for short bursts of energy. So uh, through evolution, of course, our Energy, when we were expending a lot of strenuous uh, energy, it was when we were trying to eat or avoid getting eaten, so we would run mm-hmm. for two to three minutes at a time and uh, so today, with this exercise frenzy that we look around and see in the gyms and so on, you know people are riding their bikes or rowing or you know going on st- you know walking up and down these stairs or whatever they're doing uh, just to you know turn on their uh, aerobic. Um, energy and yet at the same time they're depleting their bodies. So it's really quite a contradiction and, um, and it's, it's tough sometimes to educate people because they're just so attached to, to this uh, strenuous activity.
2: Well, some of these ladies, once they get in their, you know, 40s, early 50s, they start to gain weight and a lot of it's hormonal and they're afraid that if they start, if they stop working out two hours a day, they're going to gain tons of weight. They don't realize that they're damaging their metabolism and making the problem even worse.
3: Yeah, and you yeah. understand, I'm sure, uh, a lot about, you know, the uh, cortisol pushing up the insulin and insulin driving fat. So very commonly yeah. you'll see people who are over-exercisers and they can't lose weight, and that's essentially the reason why. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it goes against all belief systems out there today, and it's, it's, yeah. it's a tough challenge. It's a tough challenge, but uh, when I see people go into relaxation mode uh, and their bodies start to heal... Just so it takes a while, it can take several months for the metabol for the metabolism to heal, but over time then the body starts to find its optimal weight. Yeah, yeah. I was
2: looking at some photos of when I was in medical school and I was going, Wow, I was a little heavier then. I didn't even realize it. And since I've been out, I'm not as stressed. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. It's not go, go, go all the time and it's just it's been a lot easier. So it's just kind of interesting. Nothing really changed besides just my stress level. So, um, from a Nutrition perspective What What's the major love We can give our adrenals With nutrition Like what would be Some good options uh,
3: The best fuel For the adrenal glands Is going to be Animal fat So uh, as a supplement It might be something Like cod liver oil But certainly butter uh, Is a tremendous fuel For the adrenal glands uh, It's really uh, You know Because of so many Different nutrients In these foods But predominantly Has a lot to do With the fat soluble vitamins Vitamin A And vitamin D Another uh, component that would be in animal fat that's crucial for the nervous system is arachidonic acid, and that's a fatty acid that has been wrongly demonized for many, many years because it's contained in animal fat. But arachidonic acid is also very stabilizing for the nervous system, and, of course, it would be naturally present in there with uh, the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A and vitamin D. So it's, it's the marriage of certain nutrients that you would find in animal fat that are so crucial. Uh, for things like the adrenal glands, but also for even your cell membrane. When you look at the cell membrane, the cell membrane is, is comprised of some very specific nutrients that you really can only find in animal foods. And so when you're not eating animal foods, of course, this is going to destabilize not just uh, your blood sugar, but also will destabilize your cell membrane, and really you're only as healthy as your cell membrane. So you must give that cell membrane the proper components so that it is structurally sound. And these components, as I mentioned, are what you would find in animal foods. Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting. And what about, um, like, the of the asked, other ones, like DHA, EPA?
3: DHA is one of the most commonly known ones, and it is one of the most prevalent ones that you would find in the cell membrane. What, what you want to accomplish... Uh, in the cell membrane, is you want to have the proper components of the proper types of animal fats that will make the cell membrane not just rigid but also supple as well. And the DHA is a more supple fatty acid, whereas you have a saturated fat like steric acid, for example, which is more rigid. And it's, this, it's the combination of the fatty acids that are going to be in the cell membrane that will determine its health. So if you're not eating enough of the saturated fats, of course, then the cell membrane is just going to be too pliable for example mm-hmm. but if you add in the right components then it's going to have the rigidity and the pliability at the same time so it's 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 a more it's a it's a healthier structure in that case but mm-hmm. i was i'm a recovering vegetarian so i mm-hmm. would have eaten way too. too many omega yeah <laughs> yeah Me i would too. have had way too many omega 6 fats i wouldn't have had enough saturated fat in my diet uh you know i wouldn't have been getting the proper components to make my cell membranes healthy, and yep. so, yeah, I mean, I did it because I thought it was going to help me get over my chronic fatigue, but indeed, over the long run, it just kept making me sicker and sicker and sicker.
2: Yeah, yeah, it wasn't until I added in some of those animal fats and the healthy oils that I really felt like things started to turn around, especially with my, my memory, my brain function, just the clarity really, really, really improved quite a bit. It was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah.
3: And yeah. you, you probably see this when, when you get people eating more animal fat in their diet. Uh, this ties into the sugar craving. You probably notice that their sugar cravings either completely go away or are substantially reduced, correct?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yep, absolutely.
2: You can go hours yeah. and hours and, it's, and it just stays really stable. Once, once you get their metabolism healed, yeah. you can't do that for about. You know, about three months to have them really consistent with taking their supplements and, you know, eating, you know, every three hours or so, eating protein every three hours. But then once they heal that metabolism, that blood sugar, they can, they can go, you know, maybe even skip dinner or, or even skip breakfast every now and then and they just tend to stay pretty stable.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing. It does take time. You're, you're absolutely right. It does right. though. Yeah, you um, can't start with yeah.
2: that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I was looking at the USDA, uh, the food guide or dietary approaches today. And I and I just – I don't know why I haven't looked at this before. I guess I just kind of assumed what was on there. But I was shocked to see the different recommendations that they had is that they really promote limiting intake of saturated fat and trans fats. They put a big I like the same thing, saturated and trans fats. Um, and then also they, they say to consume less than 10% of calories from saturated fats. What do you, What's your opinion of this? And do you think that this type of diet is leading to these problems that we're talking about?
3: Oh, I love this topic. <laughs> I love this topic because mm-hmm. the food guide, of course, is basically comprised of the four lobby groups, right? They call it the four food groups. But essentially mm-hmm. it's the pressure of the four lobby groups that have uh, developed that very bogus uh, food guide. I mean, if, if you want to have a sick population, that's the diet you would want to recommend. Uh, and then if you get deep into the food guide, you'll find out that, not only are they recommending less than 10% uh, saturated fat in the diet, it actually even suggests as low as 7%. And I think this recommendation is encouraged by the American, I think it's the American Heart Association. And, of course, one of the most uh, healthiest foods for your heart is going to be saturated fat. So you know, I guess that's good job security for uh, the doctors and the American Heart Association and so on But uh, mm-hmm. the, the the thing is Is that they're trying to turn us into Vegetarians or near vegetarians And the food guide is essentially a near Vegetarian uh, diet uh, Because plant-based foods Are easier to produce Easier to ship, have better shelf life And they're more profitable than animal foods And if you bring in the idea of Subsidies in the United States in particular uh, You know, you have you know, A recipe for disaster It's the perfect storm for creating things like obesity and diabetes, heart disease, and so on. And a very dear friend of mine, uh, Dr. Louise Light, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago, uh, she worked for the USDA and worked on the 1992 food guide, and she told the Secretary of Agriculture at the time that they could not, in all good conscience, recommend 6 to 11 servings of grains on top of the 5 to 10 servings of fruits and vegetables, because essentially that's sugar on top of sugar, right? Mm-hmm. So the Secretary of Agriculture didn't listen to the advice of his nutritionists and dietitians. They all knew that there was no science to justify recommending that much sugar in somebody's diet. Uh, and they said basically maybe three to five servings of carbs, but not six to 11, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. At any rate, the, the secre- Secretary of Agriculture at the time uh, caved to the lobbyists and of course, submitted the final draft as being, you know, the, the, what we hear about very commonly is the five to ten servings of fruits and vegetables, and six to eleven servings of grains. And he was told by his team that if he did this, that he would create a diabetes and obesity epidemic. And as we see, this is what has come to fruition. It's, uh, it's really just a matter of money. It has nothing to do with health or with common sense. And uh, you know, sadly, of course, look at look at the billions of dollars it's costing the healthcare system, both in the United States and in Canada, where I live. Mm. Uh, something's fishy.
2: It's it's just it's, it's a little too crazy, you know, all this stuff happening, and and
3: it it, it really makes a lot of money to have sick people, right? <laughs> well, there's no incentive. You're absolutely right. It's not a conspiracy. It's business. It's just plain business. So what we have is we have big food creating clients for big pharma. Uh, and it doesn't make any sense for us to be, for them, I mean, it doesn't make any sense for us to be healthy. The sicker we are, the more money they get to make. Uh, you know, we don't die uh, of infectious diseases suddenly like we would have in the 1800s. Now we, we know how to control infectious diseases. Infectious diseases only account for about 6.7% of all deaths. A hundred years ago, though, that wasn't the case because we didn't know about hand washing. We didn't have antibiotics. Uh, we had, you know, uh, very crowded living conditions. You know, things have improved dramatically in many regards, over the last hundred years So we know how to basically ward off, ward off infectious diseases The people today who tend to die From infectious diseases are usually Ones who have some sort of pre-existing Condition that they're unfortunately Very unwell in the first place um, But over 80% of the population Today is going to die From chronic disease And these diseases for the most part Are preventable through As you know through diet and lifestyle Changes mm-hmm. and and that's not what the government is uh, teaching us. And what they are teaching us, sadly, is information that actually makes us sick. So mm. it's, it's 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 an unsustainable system through and through. And the only way uh, we can fight it is from a grassroots level, because unfortunately there's just way too much corruption going on in entities like the USDA and the FDA and here in Canada with Health Canada and Ag Canada. They bow down to industry. Industry basically is is, is who they answer to. They're not answering to the needs of the people anymore. So we are are the ones that have to solve this problem. So I always sort of uh, say, you know, I think what's going to end up happening is, you know, your clients, your listeners, um, you know, the people who understand uh, the importance of traditional foods, uh, who know about some of this corruption going on, within the, the government entities you know we're going to be the ones that survive because we're going to be the ones avoiding the MSG the aspartame the sugar yeah. <laughs> you know the vaccines the drugs uh and, and let, let USDA and FDA let them have all those things right so <laughs> right? Yeah, you can keep it <laughs> they're, the, they're the ones that are going they're the ones that are going to go away right. <laughs> and we are the ones that are going to be left standing because we know not to touch those things that those, yeah. those uh, things that we see so commonly out there, including the food guide, are just creations of industry. They're not at all uh, serving our health. Mm-hmm.
2: Woo, it's such a hot topic. I'm, like, fired up right now. So I think it's crazy <laughs> how we, we give, I don't say we, government, the government gives false information about nutrition. They throw off people's neurochemistry, their biochemistry, their neurotransmitters. Everything is thrown off. People become addicts, and then when they act out, we throw them in prison. I know I'm simplifying it a little too much, but, you know, it's that that is kind of a trend that we see. And then people are in prison, and then we give them crazy foods that are toxic, makes them even mm-hmm. more unhealthy, acting out even more. And then, you know, once they do get out, they get put back in again, over and over. It's a cycle. And how many inmates do we have now in the U.S.? Oh, two million?
3: You we have more like inmates. Two million prisoners? Yeah. Two million, yeah, and there's more inmates in the United States than there are farmers, uh, you know, and, uh, so it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just crazy. You have a, in the United States in particular, you have a prison system that is completely unsustainable. You have problems with overcrowding and so on. Uh, and then sadly here in Canada, we have a prime minister that wants to expand the prison system, which of course is going to create similar problems here in Canada as is, as what exists in the United States right now. Now, if, if, you, if they were to spend more money on the front end and truly rehabilitate these inmates by helping them with their biochemistry so that they can make good decisions, uh, that would save billions of dollars in terms of the justice system year-round, not just financial uh, gains, but, but you would save families and hopes and dreams and lives. I mean, there's so much that they could save by helping people um, get healthy biochemically because you can't make a good decision when your biochemistry is awry. You just can't. Mm -hmm. And I have an example in my book of somebody who works uh, with the drug court in California and she, by helping the prisoners as they come out of prison and helping them get the right nutrition and putting them on things like fish oil and certain nutrients and so on, she, her program in this drug court has been able to reduce recidivism rates dramatically uh, and help these prisoners truly get their lives back. Now, that's a more humane society. That's a society that's far more sustainable than simply punishing these people all the time. And it sounds like you know that even uh, the prison system in, I think, the Chicago area is giving the prisoners soy. Uh, and, of course, as you mentioned, you know, that's just going to create more violence among the prisoners and increase recidivism rates in the long run. Yeah. What else do, do inmates eat? Do you know what else they have, the soy of soy?
2: Like they're typical.
3: Well, I don't know how far reaching that trend is where the the prisons uh, are implementing the soy-based diet. Um, I'm not sure how many prisons are affected by that. Um, But they do get their quote-unquote three squares. Um, But, again, the quality of the food is certainly very questionable at that. Um, But they at least are sitting down and eating three square meals, uh, which is probably more than they would do if they were at home, sadly. Mm -hmm. I do speak with people like... I talk to uh, some of the police officers and so on that work with um, offenders and reoffenders and so on, and they they tell me, of course, my one of my goals is to get in the prison system and really help these people rehabilitate, and they just think it's a pipe dream. They just don't see they just don't see it happening. And of course, what you're dealing with in the prison system is prisons for profit. You know that these this is this is a system that is. Um, you know, a profitable system, and it's, a, it's it's employing a lot of people. And so t- to have fewer and fewer and fewer prisoners in the system, of course, it's, it's going to compromise jobs, it's going to compromise profits. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of incentive to keep the system as dysfunctional as it is. Yeah, yeah,
2: it makes sense. I mean, it's, again, it's it, it pays off to keep people in trouble. It pays off to keep people sick. It, it does, you know, it's, it, it makes a lot of sense when you really dissect it all. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: One of my favorite things to talk about to kind of switch gears is gut function. It's like my very, mm-hmm. very favorite thing in the whole world. Talk about nutrition and talk about poop. I love talking about poop with my patients making sure that they're going regularly and they've got their digestion really regulated. And 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 even with addictions, gut health
3: can be involved.
2: Can you speak a little bit about the gut and how that how that plays a role in all of this?
3: Yeah, well, there's something that's called auto-brewery syndrome, and essentially you're creating alcohol in your gut if you have what's known as, and I'm sure you know this term well, is dysbiosis or an imbalance in gut flora. So it's very, very important to keep your gut flora intact so that you are producing uh, the proper elements in your gut. You don't want to be producing lots of acetaldehyde or uh, putrescine, cadaverine. You know, you don't want to be producing a lot of ammonia in the gut. You want to have a nice, healthy gut uh, ecology, and uh, when your your gut ecology is off and you 're producing all sorts of toxic uh, chemicals, for example, they can leak out th- through your gut lining and go out through the body and actually interfere with your hormones, interfere with cellular communication, uh, get through the blood brain barrier and and in fact adversely affect the brain. so your gut being your second brain it 's very, very important to prioritize keeping it healthy. And so um I'm sure that you teach your clients about uh, probiotics and uh, probiotic rich foods like uh real sauerkraut, hopefully farm fresh kefir, farm fresh yogurt. Um those types of things are really good for encouraging healthy gut flora and they really should be a part of uh your lives on a daily basis. It's not something you take, oh, I'm going to take I'm going to eat sauerkraut this coming Sunday, you know, <laughs> or I'm going to have yeah. kefir, you know, a week Saturday. No, these are foods you want to incorporate in your diet on a daily basis in order to help uh, stimulate the healthy gut flora. Mm-hmm.
2: And and even just the neurotransmitter balance, right? I mean, the majority of serotonin is in the gut. You know, people don't realize mm-hmm. that this is a – they think of it as a brain chemical, but it's in in your gut through dysbiosis. You're going to feel depressed, and you're not going to be sleeping well because that turns into melatonin, which is your sleep hormone, do you, do you mm-hmm. find that a lot, you know, working with clients, you know, getting that stabilized that a lot of their addiction issues tend to
3: really improve? Yeah, it's just just general. I mean, the serotonin, yeah, about 90% of it is produced in the gut, but there's just so many other things that will happen if your body uh, has too many of these chemicals, these very toxic chemicals floating through it because they will also interfere with even your thyroid hormones, right? Like they they will interfere with your body's ability to use B12 or, um, uh, you know, even certain other nutrients, B vitamins, for example. So you will have interference running through your body 24-7 if you're not uh, getting the gut ecology. So the serotonin is an issue, but there are so many other issues that are going to be adversely affected if if, if your gut ecology is off. So Mm -hmm. it's just a huge priority to to do that. If if all one can do is focus on fixing the gut, uh, I think that that would do do them a huge service.
2: Wow, you sound like me. I, I feel like I say that all the time. Like we so need to focus on one thing. And she's focus on the gut. It's just, it just seems to affect everything in the body. I love that. Um, do you get your clients little,
3: making their, their, their? Oh, I was just gonna say, do you get your clients making their own bone broth too? Because that's very helpful. Yes, all the time, <laughs>
2: all the time. I tell them Good. all the time just to make their own bone broth. Yeah, I give them links to YouTube videos to make that because it's just so healing to get those those minerals, those galactoamino glycans. I get. I just geek out talking about it but yeah i love bone broth and when i um twisted my ankle last year i think it was i was doing bone broth like every day and it healed up so fast it was amazing yeah it's yes. yeah it's really good stuff um 60 to 70 percent of people if not estimated have gluten sensitivity do you think that's a coincidence that so many people have addictions and so many people are sensitive to gluten or do you think there's a connection
3: yeah, um, and it has to do with the, the morphine-like compounds that they mimic, and this happens in dairy and in gluten as well. Uh, and I think essentially what I try and tell people is we want to heal the gut, we want to heal the digestion, so that if you do decide to eat, you know, even sourdough bread, I mean, if people eat sourdough, sourdough bread where the grain is actually pre-digested, I do see fewer problems. Um, and if dairy is farm-fresh, and fermented, usually I see fewer problems. But when somebody has a very severe condition, whether it's, uh, you know, autism or schizophrenia, something really extreme, they may not even be able able to handle a sourdough bread or farm-fresh raw dairy, even fermented. Uh, So some people do have to remove uh, these foods. And it's not necessarily, again, it's not the fault of the food in as much as it is um, potentially the quality of the food and or the weakness of one's digestive system. So um, I think that people need to take a step back and, and experiment and see what seems to work for them. Some people, indeed, do have to go off all gluten for a while as their gut is healing. I don't think it's a life sentence. It really depends on the individual. I think that it can take a good year, even two years, for the gut to heal if uh, people are dealing with these extreme types of conditions. Um, but I do think that if somebody is generally healthy, that they can handle uh, a good organic, say, you know, traditional sourdough bread, and that if they are eating dairy, if it's farm fresh uh, raw dairy, and even even more optimally, a, a fermented type of dairy, whether it's cheese or if it's kefir or yogurt, that way there's some sort of pre-digestion that has taken place, and it's usually much easier on people's guts. So I don't know if you find mm-hmm. the same thing, but.
2: Well, I think, it, again, it goes back to eating real foods, and once, like you're saying, once the gut is healed up, they're a lot more, you know, able to tolerate some of these foods. Um, but a lot of times, you know, they, it, like you're saying, it takes a year or two years to heal up the gut, so they, they have to avoid it for a
3: good amount of time to allow the body to do mm-hmm. that.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it can take you know, a while. I have to be very patient. <laughs>
2: Right, and 100%, I tell them you can't be a little bit pregnant, you know, you can't be a little bit gluten-free, you got to really stick to it and give that body a chance to heal, so, yeah. Um, and, and I love in, in your book, you, you talk a bit about Weston Price, and we talked about Weston Price on our show um, a little bit, And uh, but, you know, even some of the cultures that he visited, they weren't all grain-free, right? I mean, they were eating some grains and some carbs, right?
3: Yeah, Every every culture had its own sort of... Percentages like that they would have eaten uh, you know depending on the time of the year and where they were in the world, but i 'm of Irish and Scottish descent, uh, and I think typically anybody of European descent, you can see some pretty general um, solid rules coming out of that era or of, of that geography, and that is that you know people in from Europe tended to have eaten about seventy percent of their calories from animal fat uh, you know me my ancestors being from Scotland and Ireland. You know, we didn't eat a lot of vegetation. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't eat that much that much in terms of carbohydrates. I, I really don't. Um, but I certainly enjoy my animal fat, and as would yeah. anybody if they're from uh, European descent. So it's a pretty good general rule. One of my favorite books uh, that gets into some of this is Life Without Bread by Dr. Wolfgang Lutz. I love that book. And he, for 40 years as a medical doctor, would just limit people's intake of carbohydrates of all kinds. Uh, not just bread, but he would limit carbohydrates to about 72 grams per day. And, um, you know, 40 years of clinical observation as a medical doctor, he saw nothing but good come from that. Uh, so it was really, it's a really fascinating book. If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it.
2: Yeah, I, I've, I've seen it on friends' bookshelves and I haven't read it yet, so I'll definitely write that down as a, the next on the list. Um, I love how your book covers addiction from many different types. You know, we talked about sugar, talked a bit about alcohol and drugs, but even things like internet addiction and shopping and video games. Can you talk a little bit about that and and, and also just what can parents do, you know? We seem like we mm. have our, our hands tied sometimes in being able to handle this with our with our children.
3: Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, the media in general and how we are just so bombarded with different forms of media today. And it's just a natural human... Um, you know, m- magnetic attraction that we have for something that's new, right, something that's fancy, something that's gimmicky. We all tend to want it, right? Uh, we don't necessarily need it, <laughs> but we want it. And marketing has uh, basically driven our desire for want uh, and used wants ne- now that uh, surpassed need. Uh, and so, unfortunately, today, Uh, That's what's driving us, is is our desire for want and and not for what we need. A hundred years ago, before the Great Depression, uh, we had what we needed. We had a roof over our heads. Uh, You know, we had three meals a day. Uh, We had shoes on our feet. You know, we had what we needed, and we didn't live in a very materialistic society. And ironically enough, of course, we were happier even during the Great Depression when we had much less. Than we are today We're less happy today Even though we have more as a society And all this stuff is supposed to be making us happy And it's not Because we are not looking at what our needs are We have lost sight of our needs So what we have to do is take a step back as a society and say, what is it that really makes me happy? Is it this new iPad, or is it the time, the quality and time that I have with my friends and my family, having Mm -hmm. eye-to-eye contact and being able to hold their hand or give them a hug? And I think we're losing touch with real-time activity, and unfortunately, I see our kids. Today are really suffering for this because when I look at young kids today who are addicted to video games, for example, uh, I can't make eye contact with them and they have real trouble expressing themselves even in their speech. They tend to mumble uh, and if they are trying to express themselves they really don't do a good job in, in expressing what it is they want to say. So they're losing essentially some very basic communication skills simply because they're just so tied to so many of these new forms of media that we see out there today. And I really do see this as, a, in a way that we're devolving as a species because of some of these systems rather than evolving. And I'm not, um, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. I do see the benefit uh, of the Internet and of so many of these new technologies that we have out there. I do see benefits, but I think we also need to keep things into perspective and not lose touch with uh, real-time activity Uh, as we introduce these things into our society
2: yeah well if it weren't for the internet you and i wouldn't be doing this show right now right but at the same time you got to be able to turn off the computer i I have to really educate patients a lot about that it's that when the sun goes down i want you to turn off your computer and start dimming the lights and let your body think that it's nighttime that it actually is nighttime you know we think we're in this endless summer and and it's really i mean we we interviewed i interviewed t.s wiley she's author of lights out um i think it was about a year ago and it's just so incredibly interesting just how, you know, electricity, since that's come around, we're just in this endless summer all day long. And when we're in endless mm-hmm. summer, we're continually eating sugar because that's what the type of foods that are around in the summertime, again, leading more to this insulin resistance, this whole sugar addiction thing. So it's a lot more to it, but but it, it just goes back to just eat the way we're designed to eat. Sleep the way we're designed to sleep, move the way we're designed to move, you know, breathe. I mean, make it simple again. Simplify your life, and you have to just schedule it in. And I I encourage all my patients just to take a media-free day, you know, Sunday. Just Mm -hmm. let it be your sacred day. No Internet, no phone, no TV. Just go outside, you know, (laughs) go get some fresh air.
3: Yeah. yeah, and That's I do have simple. I do have some pointers in the book for parents who are trying to supervise their kids on this issue and really learn how to set limits on the kids so that they don't overindulge their, you know, time on the internet and that they do participate in some healthy sports like soccer or tennis or golf or whatever because those are great uh activities not just because of the athleticism behind it but because of the socializing that they learn from doing those sports as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I love some of these um, stats you had in your book. You said Americans have twice as, and this is kind of shifting gears to shopping, but it goes in in this whole thing of um, you know technology. Americans have twice as many shopping centers as high school or as high schools. Seventy percent of Americans visit malls each week. Um, In 2000, 40 billion mail order catalogs flooded our homes, which is about 150 for every American. And Americans spend six trillion dollars per year on consumer goods. And then Americans spend more on shoes, jewelry, and watches than on higher education. That is
3: yeah, incredible. I think, yeah. I think if people want to protect themselves against marketers, I think a really uh, good video, it's online. They can see it for free. It's called The Century of the Self. It's a four-part documentary uh, produced by the BBC. Uh, again, it's called The Century of the Self, and you can see it for free on YouTube. Uh, but, if you can watch that documentary, you will be able to better protect yourself against the propaganda against the power of persuasion or the power of marketing, because essentially, what has happened since the great Depression is is that they have been become so sophisticated in terms of you know selling us these products that we really don't need, and because we 're buying so many things that we simply don't need uh, that 's why we see. You know this, this economic uh, downturn happening in society today. We have just been on a sh- uh, spending frenzy, uh, and you know, over over maxing our credit cards and debt and so on and so forth, and and now we're we're paying the price for it. Uh, and at the end, of course, we're we're no happier for it.
2: Yeah, right. We feel more of a void,
3: right? <laughs> and more need to buy something else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, or, they, or you get your expectations up because. You want to have a nice car that's nicer than the Joneses, or you want to have a bigger house that's bigger than the Joneses, and then you you buy these big fancy um, things, and then you, you, you're let down because you're no happier mm-hmm. for it. So the expectation, right. in a sense, is also uh, a big letdown as well.
2: Mm-hmm. Did uh, Did Weston Price find any depressed tribes or any depressed people in his in his discoveries? So you know.
3: No, he always remarked in even harsh conditions, even when people lived in the bitter cold or windy, uh, damp environments, whatever the case may be, no matter how harsh the conditions were, he always remarked on how happy the culture was, how happy the people were. He did not see uh, mood disorders or depression. He didn't see uh, dementia or Alzheimer's. He didn't see any of these types of things. So uh, today... What we have is we have an expectation. Speaking of expectations, people expect to get sick today. They think that sickness is normal. But if you look at the work of Dr. Weston A. Price, you will see that these illnesses that we're seeing today are just not normal at all. If you look at primitive tribes, they were radiantly healthy, both physically and mentally. And so if you want to know if the nutritional information you're getting is correct, then you have to ask yourself these five questions. You have to say to yourself, does this nutritional information prove to me that couples are fertile, babies are healthy, that there's no chronic disease or mental disorders in society, that the aging are aging gracefully, and that the senior citizens are still productive members of society? And the characteristics of healthy diets that uh, Dr. Price noted around the world in many, many different cultures, of course, if you... Sum up all those characteristics, and you you follow those characteristics, and inevitably, hopefully, you will be healthy for it. Um, so essentially, if you want to be healthy, you should mimic the diet of healthy people, and look at your ancestors. Like I'm, uh, you know, my ancestors, like I mentioned earlier, are Irish and Scottish. So what I try and do um, is is basically mimic a diet that they would have eaten as closely as I can. Oh, without being neurotic or <laughs> obsessive compulsive yeah. about it, I I know that eating three square meals when we before World War II, uh, we were healthy before World War II, and or for the most part we were healthy and we sat down and ate three square meals a day. So mm-hmm. I know that's another good paradigm that people can live with. I think if they can just visualize the way we would have eaten in the 1940s um, before the rise of the processed food industry. I think that that also will help people understand how simple the diet really is. It's, it's The diet is not the complicated part. The complicated part is the propaganda and the misinformation that gets in the way.
2: Hmm. Yeah. For those of you who just tuned in, we're talking to Pam Colleen. She's the author of Addiction, The Hidden Epidemic. It's a fabulous book. I recommend all of you to read it, even if you don't think you have an addiction, because you probably do, because a lot of us have and we don't think we do. <laughs> Um, I really mm-hmm. recommend to read the book. Uh, for those of you listening, you'd like to call and ask a question. I'm going to open up the phone line. Remember to call is 818-495-6919. That's 818-495-6919, and we'll get you on the air. Pam, you talk about depression as well in your book. And, you know, depression is, is the number one risk factor for developing addiction, you know, because that's really the way mm-hmm. that we take care of the depression. So, how much of an issue is
3: depression now for us in the U.S.? Mm. Huge. It's a number. It's, it's the leading cause of disability here in North America. I mean, imagine uh, if you have a, a big workforce, if you have a big company and lots of employees. This is the number one uh, disability you're going to see today. Uh, and sadly, this uh, affliction, uh, this illness, is only going to get worse. The World Health Organization says now that depression is the fourth leading cause of disease worldwide uh, by 2020, It's going to be the number two cause of disease worldwide, but it's already the number one leading cause of disability here in North America, and things are just going to keep getting worse. And part of the reason why is because the medications are simply not working. (laughs) You know, they're not helping people for the most part. They may help when people have debilitating depression, but they don't seem to be helping people who have mild to moderate depression. And even if these drugs are helping people who have debilitating depression, the side effects, can be very debilitating. So, uh 70% of the people who have depression are basically walking around wounded. They they're in, a, you know, they're not talking about it. They're not doing anything about it. They're suffering in silence. So, can you imagine 70% of the people who have depression suffering in silence, going to work every single day pretending like everything's okay, and it's not okay. And one of the reasons why they suffer in silence is because they've tried medications and they didn't work. Uh, They've tried talk therapy and it didn't work because you can't talk somebody out of a biochemical imbalance Mm -hmm. Uh, if they have nutritional deficiencies, for example. You can't talk somebody out of that. I remember when I had chronic fatigue, you couldn't have talked me out of chronic fatigue because I was a biochemical mess. So, So you have to get the biochemistry intact and then maybe people can benefit from talk therapy. I don't think there's anything wrong with talk therapy. I just see its limitations when people have an imbalanced biochemistry. So uh, I think that if people knew that there was a way out uh, biochemically, uh, out of their depression, I think people would would celebrate it, would would love to have these solutions. Uh, but unfortunately, that because of so much stereotype and stigma attached to depression, I don't know how many of these 70% are actually you know, aggressively still looking for answers because I think a lot of people who have depression right now have simply given up and think that it's a life sentence when it, it is definitely curable. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. All right, I'm going to open it up to a, a Facebook question. This is from Angelique, and she wants to know, what's the best thing someone can do to allow a loved one to help themselves with their addiction?
3: Well, I, that's, a, that's a difficult question to answer. Um Because I think it depends on the severity of the addiction, depends on the individual, uh, him or herself, but uh, I work with people who have some pretty serious addictions, and they know, they acknowledge that they have the addiction, and they want out, and they do work really, really hard on my program, so I see them taking the active measures that they need to take. Um, But I have a lot of friends that I love and adore, and I see them with various addictions, uh, but they're in complete denial, and I right. see that as well. I see that extreme. So where you see the denial, unfortunately, uh, you know, you, there's the expression: you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So they have right. to really want it. Um, and and they say in addiction, they say never to give up, never to give up. If you know somebody, if you love somebody, and you see them, basically, you know, destroying their lives with an addiction. Um, It's nice that they know that you're there for them, um, but you may need to do something radical. You may need to do an intervention, for example, uh, just to get their attention. And according to the information that I've read, the intervention is probably one of the most successful ways to to wake them up and try to get them some help. Uh, Another thing that I can say is when I was doing research for the book and the people that I feature in my book, when they were testing Addicts. They would be forced into the the clinic, uh, and then they would be tested. And when they were tested and they could look on paper and see that they were a biochemical mess, that essentially allowed for the albatross to come off their shoulders because the addict, you know, uh, feels shame and feels guilt, right? And when they see that it's a biochemical issue, then they can actually almost breathe easy and say, I'm not going crazy. There is something physically wrong with me. I knew there was something physically wrong with me, but nobody ever told me there was anything physically wrong with me. And as soon as they look at the paperwork and see that their biochemistry is a mess, then you might have a chance to get them in for rehabilitation. And by rehabilitation, I mean the um, nutritional forms of rehabilitation, not just the talk therapy forms. Right, right,
2: yeah. Yeah. And, and, again, I know from, from my perspective, when my brother was doing that, that was the very best he, he had ever done, doing that biochemistry. And it was so exciting to finally see, you know, see him coming to life. It was really, really exciting stuff. And if only these treatment facilities were, were utilizing this, you know, um, it would just change so much in our health care and our everything. It, just, it would be really, really incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, Here's, here's another question from uh, another Facebook person. This is Janine. She, she says, please help. I've been addicted to cigarettes for 26 years. I've tried nearly everything, patches, hypnotherapy, acupuncture. What can I do to underdress the underlying imbalance rather than just try other therapies?
3: Mm-hmm. Well, the program I do is specifically working on the copper toxicity, and it's a very comprehensive program. It's basically a five-fold type of program that I use to go after the, the copper toxicity because where addiction is concerned, the copper has got to be addressed. Um, but cigarettes, nicotine addiction, is one of the m- most difficult addictions to overcome. Uh, but I do see when I work with people who have a nicotine addiction, I do see them eventually be able to wean themselves off the, the drug. Uh, what I do when I do biochemical restoration is as an individual's biochemistry keeps getting stronger and stronger and stronger, whatever drug they started on the program using, whatever that drug may have been, they eventually don't want it anymore. Mm. But the program I use is not a quick fix. It happens, the biochemistry takes months, if not a year or two years, to restore itself. So if somebody comes to me with an addiction, they must be patient and allow for the biochemistry to restore, and eventually they'll start noticing whatever drug that they're using. Um, they just don't want it anymore. I have people who mm-hmm. start on my program, and they may be an occasional drinker, uh, not a heavy drinker, but an occasional drinker, and they get mad at me because they say, Pam, I don't even want alcohol anymore. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. yeah. That's music to your ears, right?
3: Yeah, because they like having a glass of wine or something before bed, and then as their biochemistry gets stronger, they don't even want wine anymore.
1: Yeah, I love
3: that. That's fabulous. You've cured, <laughs> I mean, I have cured against... that, that balanced. Yeah, <laughs> I have nothing against somebody being able to enjoy a glass of wine from time to time. I have nothing against uh, that. I'm not being puritanical here. It's just that when the body is healthy, then anything that might be toxic, the body just doesn't. Re- it's not really that interested in it anymore. Hmm. Yeah.
2: You talk about vitamin D um, and the role of addiction. Can you t- tell us a little bit about that? We talked about vitamin D on the show a little bit before, but what's its role in
3: addiction? Well, one of the things that vitamin D is very important for is uh, actually the production in serotonin. So as you go out in the sun, at this wonderful time of the year, of course, you uh, get rewarded two different ways. You get you absorb that vitamin D, but then the vitamin D helps to increase. The body's production of serotonin So no wonder we all feel good When we go out in the sun So that in the role of addiction I think is very, very important Because uh, the neurotransmitter serotonin Is one of your, you know, happy neuro- neurotransmitters It's it's a feel-good neurotransmitter
2: Very cool I think I forgot that That's one of those little cool little tidbits That I, I spaced on That's, I love that So, alright, I think I've have really drilled you with lots of really awesome questions pam <laughs> um oh, listen i could go on for hours <laughs> oh me too me, me too girl i'm i could talk about this for hours too but for the sake of our listeners is there anything else in any other topics
3: or you know anything that you would love to to touch on that i maybe forgot i think um just a, a couple of things i think another a key reason why i wrote the book is because it's a call to action uh, I wrote this book because there's really no book out there like this where it's basically pleading at a grassroots level for society to do more about this issue because if we do not do more to help fix this problem, I just don't have a lot of hope for our younger generations. Um, you know, I, I just see today, for example, here where I live in London, Ontario, uh, a group of teachers got together and did a survey uh, among the teachers and said that over 25% of children today have some sort of mental disorder. Wow. So that's one child in four. Now, when I was young, when I was, you know, in grade school, I didn't see a lot of dysfunction or mental disorders among my peers. But now they're saying it's about 25%. Now, this is not, uh, uh, you know, they're, of course, uh, in the world of psychology or psychiatry they'll say oh it's because we're better equipped to diagnose uh, these kids or what have you Um, no there's something terribly wrong nutritionally with our children today that they're basically starving their brains with the right nutrients to keep them uh, happy, you know, happy biochemically um, And so I think that uh, we we do need to take more action on this issue And even if it's just family by family uh, Doing um, work in this area To make sure that their kids are getting the proper nutrition That is uh, that is a major step in the right direction uh, I'm going to be speaking at the Weston A. Price uh, Conference In Santa Clara, California in November I'm going to try and, my best to go to that. I really want to go to that. Oh, yeah. I'd be. I'd love to meet you in person. That would be so much oh, yeah. fun. Uh But you know, the Weston A. Price Foundation, uh, you know, as a, as a group, is doing so much uh, at so many different angles to help fix this problem. And anybody, uh, even in the paleo community, is a big part of the solution because it's eating enough animal fat and animal protein, basically, that's going to help solve this problem. So um, I think that. Uh, you know, if people do have a loved one who is struggling, or if they have nieces or nephews, and you you see that they're kind of, you know, walking on eggshells or whatever, you've got to do something to to try and educate people in the right direction, just for the sake of the children today. Yeah, Pam, what do you what do you see
2: is is going to happen to the next generation of children if we continue to ignore this problem?
3: Well, I think what's happening is very Darwinian so it will be the survival of the fittest i kind of touched on it earlier you know the usda and fda can have all of their bogus uh products and so on and let them die off and it's people like you and me and your listeners uh you know we're we're going to be the ones left standing so the ones that are questioning authority the ones who are questioning experts today <laughs> you yeah. know um i think they're the ones who are going to survive and uh, the rest are just unfortunately going to die off. Yeah. Well, the first step is is
2: educating yourself, and I I love the work that you're doing, and it's really incredibly important um, to to get your book. All, all you listeners, I really do encourage you to, to pick up this book, because so it's it's just so full of information. You're gonna it's gonna blow your mind. Um, so thank you, Pam, for writing this, and thank you for the work that you do. It's really incredible, and I just hope that you have healthy adrenals to continue doing what you're doing and um, <laughs> yeah I'm just really inspired so thank you
3: oh thank you so much for having me on your show it's been a real pleasure and where can listeners uh, learn more about you uh, my website is uh, just my name Pam Killeen K-I-L-L-E-N dot com and if they want to email me it's just Pam at Pam dot com Awesome. And, and I'm on Facebook. Facebook. I'm also on Facebook. We're on Facebook together too. So I'm on Facebook. We're, we're well. Facebook friends. We're official. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully I'll get
2: to meet you in November. And until then, um, take care and thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. I will. You too. All right, guys, that's the show. Thank you for listening, you guys. Really, really important topic. Um, Check out our book, Addiction, The Hidden Epidemic. That was Pam Colleen. Great show. And I don't know if I mentioned what the show is going to be next week. I'm going to be interviewing um, the authors of It Starts With Food. That is, oh, crap, I'm spacing their names right now. Uh, Melissa Hartwig and Dallas Hartwig. Ooh, it's been a day. Um, really looking forward to that show. So they, they're all about the, the whole nine. That's their, their company, the whole nine. We're going to be talking about their food. It, or it's talking about their book, It Starts With Food. That'll be actually next Wednesday. So instead of Tuesday, it will be next Wednesday. We had to do a little accommodating schedules. Um, so check that out. Check out the website, drlaurennoel.com and bloomnaturalhealth.com. And I will see you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. <laughs>